Welcome, Cavs fans, to the Fear the Fro podcast. A new week is upon us, and hopefully it is one which brings nothing but positivity. As two things were laid to rest yesterday. One of them was the Cleveland Browns season, mercifully ending with a record of 7-10. and 10. Football is behind us here in Ohio, but the Cleveland Cavaliers season is just heating up. Now you can focus all of your attentions on the Cavs, who laid another thing to rest yesterday as the season series with the Suns ended with the Cavaliers sweeping them, beating them last week in Cleveland, beating them last night in Phoenix. They put together quite a turd sandwich, poopy in the middle, but incredible first quarter and incredible fourth quarter. We're going to get to that and more on today's episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, lifelong Cavs fan, and exactly halfway through this regular season as the Cleveland Cavaliers notch their second victory, sweep the season series against the Phoenix Suns, and climb to 26-15, and 15, two and a half games out of first place. If the season were to end today, the Cavs and the Sixers would face off in a first-round matchup. Now, I know we handled them earlier in the season. I know Joel Embiid had but 16 points, a far cry from his usual absolute evisceration of the Cleveland Cavalier front court. But I want nothing to do with them in the first round. They're virtually tied with the Bucks. the Cavs are. While we are 26 and 15, they presently sit at 25 and 14. Should we be able to pass them, that would put us in line for a first round matchup with the Indiana Pacers, which I think most of us could concede is a favorable matchup, especially considering there is a distinct chance that Buddy Heald will not be ending this season on the Pacers. And after the news I read today, that Miles Turner has turned down extension offers from the Indiana Pacers or the talks have stalled out. Who knows? Maybe he finds himself elsewhere. So not to say that that's how the season will end. People can rise, people can fall. The Celtics, the Nets, the Bucks, the Cavs, they are all in a tight pack atop the Eastern Conference. But you have to feel pretty good because coming into the season, the Cavaliers were expected to win, depending on who you looked at, but the the projections I saw, 47 and a half wins. If this first half were to duplicate in the second half, we'd be looking at a 52-win season. So, have to feel pretty good considering, again, the Cavaliers have dealt with more injuries than most other teams. But tonight, the injuries fell on the opponent. As the Phoenix Suns entered this game without Devin Booker, who will be out for some time, and without Chris Paul, who was exceptionally effective last week, probably the best Phoenix Suns player in that matchup, in which the Cavaliers held on in a very ugly, low-scoring affair. But this game looked quite different, because while people had difficulties producing offense in the first game, the Cavaliers seemingly could not be stopped in the first quarter of this game. They missed their first attempt, but what you saw next from the Cavaliers was 12 straight baskets, without a miss. Just in the first quarter alone, not a single miss from Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, 
and Darius Garland. Those three players combined to go 11 of 11 from the floor, including the impressive part of that, Isaac Okoro, perfect from outside the arc, two for two, crashed the glass as well. Another odd fact about that first quarter, the first four assists of the game, they all went to Evan Mobley as he was finding people on back cuts, cutting to the hoop, and the Cavaliers stormed out in front. A nine-point lead at the end of the first quarter on blistering shooting, 74% from the floor, 14 of 19. It wasn't all good. If there was a blemish, it's a blemish that continues to reappear for this Cleveland Cavaliers squad, and that is missed free throws. Four for nine from the stripe. By the end of the game, yet another game where the Cavaliers shot below 65%, whereas their opponent, the Phoenix Suns, shot 91% from the stripe. This has become very problematic, and in two consecutive games, Friday against the Denver Nuggets, the Cavaliers had their single worst effort of the season, both from percentage and when you consider the volume. They shot a season-low 56% from the free-throw line, and they went to the free-throw stripe 32 times. That was good for fourth most over the course of this 41-game schedule. Seven times this season, the Cleveland Cavaliers have shot less than 70%. By comparison, that's happened just three times with the Boston Celtics and with the Brooklyn Nets, who have Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton, two sub-50% free-throw shooters. They've only done it four times. But by and large, very positive first quarter. Then a familiar name erupted in the second quarter, and that was Dwayne Washington Jr. And many of you who watch all these Cavs games will remember several games where he was an Indiana Pacer that he seemingly torched us in limited minutes. Here's a pretty wild stat. In six appearances versus the Cavs, and one of them was last week when he logged just two minutes, in those six games that he's played the Cavs, four times he scored 15 points or more. This man couldn't sustain a roster spot, despite the fact that he averaged 14 points a game against the Cavs his rookie season, shooting 50-40 splits, well, 49-40 splits, but damn close. What he did tonight, it should be heartening for certain Cavs fans, because we all know the predicament as we head into the second half of this season. We have limited trade assets. There's a lot of discussion about how we can add some scoring punch and consistency to the bench. And guys like Dwayne Washington Jr., they float around. A lot of times, people who are score first, score second, score third, yes, the man doesn't pass. But if bench scoring is a concern, which it is for me, that can definitely be addressed. It can probably be addressed with 10 days to a certain degree. If you want indiscriminate gunners, those guys are all over the G League. You don't want to write off guys because look at Raul Neto, barely called upon. But in the fourth quarter tonight, a guy who may soon find himself as the third point guard on our roster gave you maybe his second best game of the season. And I know that sounds crazy because he scored just three points tonight. But we entered that fourth quarter looking like we were on the ropes for a huge collapse. And JB turned to two guys who really hadn't played much tonight. And that was Lamar Stevens and Raul Neto. Totally changed the dynamic. Neto took the challenge against Washington. He forced turnovers. He got in passing lanes. He knocked down a huge three. Even got an offensive rebound on a critical possession. Just made a bunch of hustle plays that were a huge part in a massive run by the Cavs. A 19-4 run that saw three-pointers from Garland, Neto, Levert, a Mobley hook shot. Next thing you know, a game that was within one point to start the fourth quarter had blown up to a 15-16 point lead. And you knew it was over. Lamar Stevens also was a huge part of that fourth quarter. 
JB, for all the bullets he takes about who he's chosen to start on the wing, the decision he made in the fourth quarter to lean on Neto and Lamar Stevens, who up until that point in the game really hadn't played all that much. Stevens logged just three minutes outside of the fourth quarter. Neto logged just two minutes outside of the fourth quarter. And in that quarter, the Cavaliers outscored the Suns by 13 points. That was the difference, obviously. Went 67% from the floor, a complete balanced effort. I alluded to the fact that six Cavaliers were in double figures. We got 13 from Levert. We got 22 from both Mitchell and Garland. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists from Mobley. 13 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists from Jared Allen. And Isaac Okoro with another double-digit scoring effort. 14 points, made four three-pointers. That led the team. That doubled up Mitchell and Garland. How many times are you going to hear me say this exact phrase? Isaac Okoro scored as many three-pointers as Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland combined. That will maybe never be said again this season. Now, I hope it is. If that happens, either one of two things has transpired. Terrible games for Mitchell and Garland or an incredible game for Isaac Okoro. Now, in the seven games he has started since being reinserted into the starting lineup, 48% from the field, 40% from three. And not for nothing, that's on three and a half attempts a game from outside the arc. Keep in mind, over the course of this season, he's only been taking four shots a game. So for him in this starting run here to put up as many three-pointers as field goal attempts prior to this, that is progress. As a starter, he's given us 10 points a game, four rebounds a game, a couple of assists, very respectable play, and another key to tonight was he kept the fouls down, just two personal fouls. Now, speaking of guys who have been thriving as of late, another guy who has stepped up basically since Darius Garland went down just before New Year's is Karis LeVert. I don't know if he's got rabbit ears. I don't know if he realizes as we approach this NBA trade deadline on February 9th that he essentially, he and Osman, are pretty much involved in every single trade rumor. And a large part of that is because of their contracts. They have those sweet spot deals, the $10 million-ish deal, the $20 million-ish deal. Karis LeVert, around $18 bucks on an expiring contract. He is one of the assets that's more movable, but it really doesn't have anything to do with his play. His expiring deal, being one of substantial size, will give a lot of teams the ability to clear some money off of their books. And that's why you hear him being discussed with guys who have longer-term money left. Your Tim Hardaway Juniors and various other options. Boyan Bogdanovich, not a realistic option. I'll get into a bunch of that stuff. In fact, this is as good a time as any to plug. It's sort of an offshoot of podcasts that I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting it up on the Fear of the Fro feed, but I'm breaking down some trade possibilities as we head up towards the deadline. The first pod will drop tomorrow. Karis LeVert will be a big part of those discussions. But having said that, Karis LeVert is making it very difficult to include him in those discussions. Because since Garland went down and he was again called upon to do more, Karis LeVert in his last five games has given us 18 points, five rebounds, and four assists a game, and he's done it with efficiency. 50-43 splits. That's excellent play from LeVert. And you really have to think long and hard, despite his inconsistency, if turning him into somebody else is really worth it, this is the healthiest we have seen LeVert basically in the entirety of his career. And maybe you look at that and say, well, that's an outlier. It can't last. That's why we need to trade him. Or maybe you say, you know what? He's doing everything in his power 
to make it very difficult for the Cavaliers to justify putting him into any type of trade discussion because he's playing some of his best basketball right now when the talks are going to intensify and be the most heated tonight. For him to go 10 for 19 from the floor, that was big. And the fourth quarter especially, he had some huge moments. That's to say nothing of Denver. When we saw him dunk on multiple people, something that you don't generally see Levert do. Most of Levert's buckets in the paint come in the form of leaning into a guy, creating a little bit of space, and hitting a fallaway. Against Denver, he was getting out in transition and going up and putting it down on people. One-handed, two-handed. It was a great game, despite the fact didn't help us get a victory. But to score 22 points against that team, it was a good showing for him. So the Cavs climbed to 26-15 and 15 on pace for 52 wins, on pace to host a first-round playoff series, and hopefully the second half will bring us even more victories if we can just manage to stay healthy. After tonight's clamps displayed in the fourth quarter, the Cavaliers are back atop the defensive rating, still second in net rating to the Boston Celtics, but analytically speaking, fantastic. Mobley, a great game. I know we didn't dwell on that, but his way to impact the game with his passing, and that two-man game was very good. A big part of what held DeAndre Ayton to just 6-for-16 from the field. But next up, we had to Salt Lake, home of the 2023 NBA All-Star Game, to revisit this summer's trade that sent Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland, Lowry Markinen, Colin Sexton, and Ochai Abaji to Salt Lake. As far as team stuff goes, Salt Lake has regressed to the mean hard. In fact, they have lost seven of their last eight games, and now sit outside of the playoff picture. They have been passed by the Los Angeles Lakers, no stranger to terrible basketball over the past couple of seasons. So they will be hard-pressed, it looks like, to make the playoffs. The Lakers have won five in a row. They've lost a couple. The Timberwolves, who they own that first-round pick, they have won four in a row, so they are now in the play-in picture. In essence, whether the Jazz rise and the Timberwolves fall or whether both teams fall, this could be beneficial to the Jazz long-term because they own those first-round picks. So if they get two cracks at the lottery, fantastic. Who knows? In some crazy universe, the Timberwolves and the Jazz could both fall out of the playoff picture. They could win the lottery 1-2. You could have Victor Wembanyama, Scoot, Lowry Markkinen, Colin Sexton. Who knows? That won't happen, but just imagine if it did. Lowry Markkinen, despite the teams failing, he has been great in the last eight games, averaging 32 points, nine and a half rebounds, just a few games ago against Houston, who admittedly is a terrible trash franchise. He scored 49 points and four times in the last eight games. This is one of the most impressive things about Lowry Markkinen is this is not a man just gunning up a bunch of three pointers and racking up points that way. He is getting to the free throw line in four of the last eight games. He has shot 12 or more free throws. His efficiency deadly. 97% on eight attempts per game at the free throw stripe in these last eight games. I am greatly looking forward to him attacking Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and letting the chips fall where they may. Now, I'm hoping that the Jazz will be soundly defeated and we will make their string eight of nine games in which they have gotten the loss. But I think there's something to be said for the fact that, and I said this at Fear the Fropod on Twitter, we should all be casting our votes for Lowry Markkinen. I want an alliance of sorts between Jazz fans and Cavs fans. One, because rarely do you get a trade that seems to have been a victory for both sides. They're getting what they want out of it. They've got a very good piece who is on a very reasonable deal. If nothing else, Lowry Markkinen will have massive trade value 
as he enters the final year of his contract next season. But they can probably lock him up and he can play an integral part as they rebuild. And Colin Sexton also, over these last eight games, despite the losses, he has been very efficient, 47-48 splits and scoring something to the effect of 15 points a game. So he's doing that in limited minutes, less than 25 minutes a game. So Sexton, they haven't called upon him to do a ton, but you don't know how the second half is going to play out. Malik Beasley, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I think I heard a stat the other day that he shoots the fourth most attempts in the league, and this all despite the fact that he's not even a primary scoring option. I mean, he's putting up more shots a game maybe even than Donovan Mitchell, which is Crazy. So between Beasley and Clarkson, Clarkson turned down an extension offer from the Jazz, so he might get chopped. Sexton's role could increase, but regardless, here's the bigger point that I wanted to make. Now, last offseason when we made this trade, the Jazz also offloaded Gobert and Boyan Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich has since signed a two-year extension with the Pistons, and he is one of the most sought-after commodities on the trade market that there is. Imagine an alternate universe where the relationship between the Jazz and the Cavs was so good, which it should be because we've made multiple deals. The Clarkson deal where we sent them. Now we have this Mitchell Markin in one. There's the Rodney Hood situation, Alec Burks. All of these players have gone back and forth between the two teams. It's always generally worked out. But one of the things that helps make that the case is when one team is rising while the other team is falling. Imagine if they had bundled Boyan Bogdanovich in that deal with Mitchell. Imagine the situation we'd be in now. Now, it didn't happen. They got another asset. But remember what they got for Boyan Bogdanovich. It wasn't that substantial of a deal. It was Kelly Olynyk was the centerpiece of that trade. The Cavs might have been able to pull something off in that manner. So if this deal with Markinen and Sexton works out well for the Jazz, it's only going to lend itself to future discussions while the Jazz are still bad and the Cavs are still good. So I think we should be voting for Lowry Markin. I don't think there should be any wringing our hands about, well, I wish we could have held on to him, sure. But you got to give something to get something. So I want Markin in the All-Star game. We got two guys in the All-Star game. One was in Cleveland last year. The Jazz deserve to have somebody out there. And there's almost no chance that he could get into a starter position. But the idea that Wiggins could again start is asinine. There needs to be more alliances amongst us small market teams to get our people represented so that we don't go into all-star games always having to watch Durant and Kyrie Irving. They're running away with it. You have the Western Conference where Steph Curry, who's injured, he's going to get voted as a starter. And mind you, he probably should. But guys like Wiggins and Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, they're all appearing in these fan votes. It shouldn't happen. On top of the fact that Draymond Green, Jesus, I can't even imagine. The other night, I watched them lose to the Pistons where Sadiq Bey knocked down a three. He got himself tossed from that game too. Please stop telling me about his massive impact on winning. Just please. So anyway, on to the Jazz. And remember, I plugged it earlier. Another series of podcasts coming where I dive into individual teams and look at different viable trade options or explorations we should make. If you don't like trade talk, you should just skip the whole thing. But they're going to show up in your feed. I'll try to give them unique podcast art so that you know when one is a regular fro podcast and when one is one of these special programs. So thank you for listening. This has been the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and more wins to come. Levert, live to Mobley. Oh! 
This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.